Ronan O'Gara talks about joining the Ireland coaching staff. What does the future hold for Joey Carberry? And why England legend Martin Johnson wasn't allowed to talk to referees? It's all coming up on The Hard Yards. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes, passionate about sport. With fantastic support, half of Ireland were here. The rest of them are hopefully smiling at home. <laughs> we had a bet earlier in the year, 20 euros, that if we won it, I wouldn't cry, but it's uh, the best 20 quid I'll ever spend. Here's Eastlip. Well, he picks it up quickly and off he goes. Drops it off to Hinshaw! Robbie Hinshaw scores it! Rugby history! Ireland beat the All Blacks for the first time! Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Hard Yards, the Sports Joe Rugby podcast. I'm Andy McGeady. With me in studio is Ronan O'Gara. On the line I have Jordan Murphy. And beside me here is Sports Joe Rugby reporter Pat McCarry. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Andy. And we'll have Haley O'Connor from Ladbrokes here later to talk about Leinster and Munster's odds to win the Champions Cup as well as the weekend's Grand National for extracurricular activities. Um, but first, uh, Rog, there was a video online today about uh, kick and practice over at Racing. Who was involved in that now? Um, all the backs, obviously. You have a big smile on your face, but I think in the professional game, it's important that um, the backs can kick. So it would be, um, I wouldn't say an integral part of the week, but when you have a long week this week, we have a Sunday game, so you kind of get an extra day's um, work. So we had a walk through Monday, Tuesday was um, intense and today was just separate forwards working on their game, backs had a kind of a skill session, the skill today was basically kicking followed by um, a little bit of centre passing and back three did uh, high ball reception so um, we had 16 backs which is um, is good because it works in pairs and I get to watch as opposed to kick so out of interest what's the uh, what's the variance in terms of ability of your backs your 16 backs and their ability to kick a ball um, it's hilarious because we have Fijians and <laughs> Joe Rococo it's probably the only um, skill he probably struggles with um, but then you look at what he did last year in the final against Toulon when he dribbled up the sideline and picked it up and uh, ran in for a try so you never know when you need it and that's the beauty of it and um, it's it's funny though because it, the training ground is quite windy so you just kind of you um, as you can see from the video you just put down five meter corridors across the pitch uh, but the lads are spraying them everywhere and uh, you play off the kind of white tee the red tees the women tees the blue tees are the professional tees and the white tees are are um, men's tees so it's basically um, about 18 yards 25 yards and 35 yards and just hitting hitting the guy yeah but hitting the channel but it's it sounds easy but putting it into practice it's it, it's it's um it's a good ex- skill exercise it's enjoyable i think the lads get a bit of a it's a complete um break away from the i suppose the normal um r- routine of a week um and you forget sometimes that professional rugby players were all kids and you you like doing something different and something when kicking comes in it's just it seems to excite them Jordan do you have any drills like that which are basically a children's game for a lot of large blokes yeah no, the very same as Rog you know it's, it's a base level skill that everyone needs to practice uh, unfortunately um, as he said you get a lot of a uh, South Sea Islanders who have been raised uh, running the ball and not kicking it uh, so you get quite amusing uh, results when, when you do play we play actually a lot of uh, 2v2 tennis so very similar we mark a court out and we, we just sort of play play like that and we sort of play a uh, one game the winner of the game moves up the court and at the end of the day we have a king of the court 
uh, type thing. So, so, so we mark it out. And it's the very same principles. You just do it in twos. You can do it in threes. Uh, and a, a little bit of competition added it puts the guys under pressure. We I try to uh, put them under pressure for time as well. So they catch it, give them three seconds to get it out of their hands. So they're they're, they're kicking it. So it's obviously a, a repping, you know, being under pressure in a game. Um, but yeah, again, sort of base level skill stuff that that we we well, I presume every team across the world is doing. You were known for being a fairly skillful player now when you were playing, but in when you were training, did they take the time to do these kind of drills back when you were playing? Yeah, very much so. I, I think uh, one of the things that I've always sort of believed in is that like a, a good players always sort of do extras, and you, you'd always see like I think you know Johnny Wilkinson, Ronald O'Gara. The, the guys, they'd always be first on the training field, touching up on those skills, doing a little bit of kicking. And then at the end of the session, you know, we'd always, um, whenever I played in 18 with Rog, you'd always stay behind. And, and, you know, if you didn't get your opportunity to kick in the session, you'd kick at the end of the session. Um, and, and that's obviously guys who are dedicated. I think Rog, you know, I was actually curious to ask him there as, as he was going, are there any guys in the, in the squad that can kick as well as he can still to this day? If you if you took any of them on on a one-on-one, <laughs> Rog, would they beat you? Well, I think James Hart posted a video from Lee last weekend I, I took him on in a kicking competition. He kicked nine out of nine, and I kicked eight and out of nine. And the one kick I missed, he put up an Instagram, I believe, a video in slow motion. So it's I look yeah, forward. It's obviously yeah. You see, it's a good thing if they're putting up the one thing, one kick that you missed. No, but no one has a clue. Yeah. Everyone just presumes I took one and missed one. So, um, but it's um, you're right, Jordy. It's it's a it's a fascinating subject because as you say trying to get them to work under pressure they don't really get that so everyone was kicking in the fixed position while the only person that kicks in a fixed position nowadays would be obviously the fella kicking to touch but the idea of catching the ball assembling your thoughts and your body shape to get it going and within three seconds just doesn't happen especially on a Wednesday morning when it's the first thing you're doing so some people would take 15 seconds to get their um, head around kicking the ball others were just uh, spraying them off the inside so we kind of tried to do four endeavour ends two drops and two spirals mm. so between them your you and your partners four kicks each but it takes a fair bit of time to get to the eight successful kicks How much extra training would you have done now during your career as in the daily routine you're, I never you're looked down upon it as extra training for me it was training That's the interview answer right there yeah. um, because I've been um, talking about this for a long time uh, and Jordy would have played with a lot of these guys um, the 2001 um, Lions tour that I went on opened my eyes to what uh, work rate was and it was Neil Back, Martin Johnson um, all the players were from the Leicester background Austin Healy um, people that were way ahead and two years later they went on to win the World Cup so Jordy was part of that environment all of his career so he got to see what it was like but for me that was just a massive um, massive acceleration in terms of what was needed what was required it wasn't I never looked upon it as extras but we would have done a lot in Irish camp too with um, with backs with Jordy myself Garvin Dempsey Dennis Hickey Brian uh, scrum halves um even Kevin Maggs had an old swipe or two at it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think <laughs> Magsy, w- Magsy would convince you that you'd put it in the corner. All right, Charlie. <laughs> Magsy, you just crashed that up. Don't worry about phase two. <laughs> but the um, but see, so it, it wasn't extra training. But like you're you're there. It can be a lonely thing if you're around afterwards. It's not I mean, lonely if you love it though. Okay. I think uh, if people don't get it, actually tiring or kicking is very tiring. Yeah, um, because I think what people don't get is you try and 
as Jory said, put yourself in the match situation. So catch, kick, catch, kick. But if you catch the ball and kick the ball, that takes probably 10 steps. Then you have to backpedal 10 steps. And if you're plugging a five metre channel and you have a fella like Jordy 40 yards away, um, it gets a, you get a great game going. You get a mm. great intensity. We used kick across Lansdowne Road and I can remember Jordy in the middle of November. It was horrendous. You wouldn't put a dog out in it. But we still did it on our Wednesday and that was a day off and then you kind of, you know, whatever way your head works, you just cannot wait for the... Um, the toasted sandwich and chips and the hot chocolate afterwards just to warm up but that was kind of your reward for going out and, and, and kicking in, 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 in the snow Right this is the, um, an interesting day because there are reports about the summer tour and the coaching lineup to the USA and Japan with Ireland uh, Raj what's the story there are you going on the tour? Um, I'm going for the American leg okay. um, Felix Jones is going for the Japanese first or second test and Garvin Dempsey as well so basically Andy Farrell is gone uh, with the Lions I think they're down a coach so there's three of us um, obviously trying to um, have a look at under uh, the tutelage of Joe Smith to see um, how he operates and it'll be it'll be a wonderful learning experience I don't think there's any official role except skills coach and offer advice to to young younger players um, so it's a role that's um, hugely interesting and um, cannot uh, wait to get involved How does something like that come about? Is it a phone call? Is it um, What you mean in terms of As in is this something that you've been chatting to Joe or the IRFU about for a no, while? No, no, not at all No, I've I've been in contact obviously with Joe since ever since Johnny was in the club um, and um I would um, regularly discuss rugby with him. You could talk to him a few times a week and then you mightn't talk to him for months, but if I um, was struggling on an area of the game that I didn't understand, I'd be, he'd be one of the first people I'd ring and ask his opinion on. Um, he watches rugby all around the world, so uh, he knows exactly uh, what you would be talking about. He's interested in the top 14 as well. So um, I obviously have uh, James Hart in the club at the minute. Um, Chris Farrell is in um, Grenoble so he'd be kind of just he has a I suppose a big desire to see how his Irish players are faring and, and I think the report from the media is very different to the report of a person on the ground so you'd be previewing reviewing games and he'd ask your opinion on one or two things and then um, I was obviously um, keen to see um, how he operates so if an opportunity came up I just said Joe if anything was of like um, coming into camp for a week was available I'd be interested So the opportunity has come up you've said yes um, I most definitely have said yes Yeah. <laughs> um, Jordan there's been a bit of upheaval over in Leicester at the moment as well between Leicester and Toulon there's uh, a lot of swapping going on what is the current situation Matt O'Connor's in you're still there in the assistant uh, coaching setup. Yeah, very much so. I think when you say a slight upheaval, it's probably yeah, yeah, the biggest amount of upheaval I've, I've experienced in 20 years of professional rugby. Um, you know, we, we've uh, actually we've lost three coaches this season. Uh, Start of the season, sort of three months in, we lost our defence coach. Uh, we lost Richard Cockrell, obviously, who went to Toulon, and obviously this week he's been made a uh, the head man there. Um, but he's come back to Edinburgh at the end of the season, and, and they, um, then our major was uh, replaced by Matt O'Connor, who's just actually arrived in today. Uh, so he's actually landed about two hours ago in Leicester, um, 
so yeah, when you say upheaval, it's it's been a it's been a crazy season. Um, obviously, you know our performances haven't been fantastic, but in saying that, you know we've been competitive at times. We've managed to get ourselves into the top four, which is obviously a, something that we've we've where we've been for the last sort of 13 or 14 years. So um, the standards are, are pretty high here, um, and the fans' expectation is high, and, and, and the border are uh, the border riding our case pretty hard. So um, yeah, at the moment I'm still contracted. I've got another uh, another year on my contract. I'm sort of talking to them about extending at the moment as well. They're, uh, um, they're they seem to be okay, although I suppose contracts investors don't really seem to be worth the paper they're written on at the moment. Uh, but no, yeah, it's been it's been a, a hell of a season for me, really. A hell of a learning curve in that, um, you know, I've had opportunity to lead the team on on, on quite a few occasions, and um, have been doing so for the last couple of weeks since our major left as well. So, what does losing three coaches in a season like that from the team? What what does that do to a club in terms of the day to day? Players like you are picking up the pieces a bit. Um, yeah, well, the players actually, I suppose that's that's pretty much where it's all at. The players have been, you know, full credit to them. They've, they've been brilliant. Um, you know, obviously it's a little bit. Uh, it's a huge distraction. It's not a little bit of a distraction. It's it's massive, um, and obviously you know there's a lot of media interest in around, and people want to know the reasons why. And you know sometimes it's not as simple as, as you know ABC. You know the board make decisions on, on you know what they what they think and what they see as well. So um, it, it is particularly tough. Um, but in saying that, you know f- from my point of view, I, I think um, the players have been have been golden. You know just with the way they've they've fronted it up and, and they sort of they've you know redoubled their efforts at times. Um, and, and at stages, you know, we've been really unlucky with injuries, and I think some of that you know, we've played in some big games with some very young players and some some inexperienced players, and obviously we've paid the price for that. Um, but you know, I suppose you know, there's no excuses. We we you know have to take responsibility for our own performances, and, and hopefully, you know, they'll pick up in the next few weeks. Right. Let's move on to something different. Um, there was a fantastic performance by one Leinster player at the weekend that I know I came away from the Aviva Stadium chatting to everyone about. Uh, Joey Carberry. So we have one of the, well, I think one of the great attacking fullbacks in the line. So Jordan Murphy, um, what do you think of young Joey Carberry? And is that the kind of player you'd love to get your coaching hands on? Yeah, very much so. He's, he's, a, he's a tremendous talent. Um, obviously, you know, I've seen him play a lot of 10. It was the first time I've seen him have a run at, at fullback. Um, but, um, yeah, what can you say? I thought he played fantastically well. Um, you know, his pass for an see was Troy was was a uh, was just quality. You know, he didn't really have any worry about the intercept and Christian Wade on, on that side of the field would, you know, be known for, for picking those off, but just he read the, the body language of the two defenders in front of him perfectly and, and they uh, you know, I think one of the things you get with players like that, obviously if you've got a player like Johnny Sexton on the field is you get a, a you know, second pivot, a second pair of hands and, and a second boot. And so, you know, I was really impressed with him on the weekend. It is funny, that that pass we've seen some other players come in and do that. Um Simon Zebo's done it a couple of times having that second playmaker um, is it something that every team should have or is it just is it a luxury yeah no I, I think obviously in, in the southern hemisphere it's something that, that they look to do cons- consistently um, you know they call their 12 second 5-8 they have their first 5-8 and their second 5-8 and that's what they look for they look for that second set of hands um, in the northern hemisphere I suppose mainly due to conditions and possibly due to the way that you know we've played for for a long time um, that 12 has been more of a, of a first centre of, of a you know physical body to a uh, you know, on occasion when the, when the weather's not good, just to hit it up, Magri-esque, get his tin hat on and run straight up and down on the rails. Um, so uh, it depends really on on, on how you uh, on how you want to play the game. Uh, you know, it's it's a nice option to have if you've got a ball playing second receiver to take your pressure off your ten. I think that's fantastic. You know, I think Ronan obviously having played at ten, 
he'll tell you how much he's, you know, every team talks about focusing on, on, on targeting the opposition 10. You want to target them, you want to put them under as much pressure because they're the general, they're the guys, you know, pushing the, 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 the team around the field. So to have a guy outside of that just calling the ball out of his hands, a second set of eyes, second, uh, a second set of hands that you can trust, and, you know, as, as a first receiver, as a, as a 10, that you can just say, well, I'm just going to put it in his hands every time he calls for it. And you trust him to make the right decision, obviously, makes it a lot easier for your, for your 10 to run a game as well, I think. So, Rog, I mean, was, did you enjoy playing with a player who either at 12 or at 15 could actually come in? And yeah, absolutely. But I think it's it's been there for, for a long time. I think it's all the rage after the weekend because um, obviously the way, I suppose, Munster dismantled Toulouse on a fine day for rugby and Leinster destroyed Wasp. But it was always there. I think if you go back um, 10, 15 years, it was... Dars had the capacity to play both roles. Brian O'Driscoll was a second receiver. Jordan Murphy was a second receiver. In the red jersey for me, Lefemi Maffey was a brilliant second receiver. Topoki was a second receiver. If Trevor Halstead was in the team, there was another way of winning the, a game. So it all depended about, about who you had and how best to use them. Rob Henderson wasn't a second receiver, but he was really effective as a first centre. But then you could just play maybe a channel wider. So I think... Um, Teams have always done that, and as Jordy said, you've seven months of the year over here that are probably wet, and it's not suited to doing that. So you kind of play off your first receiver. But now, when the cups are decided, you have fine weather. But that's probably a two-month period. You have to do the hard yards before that. And I think, um, excuse the pun. No, that's perfect. We're going to use that now. <laughs> Big promo now, soon enough. Soundbite. Soundbite. I'm on a. He's got his own brand here. There's McGarry yeah. there. I'm on a bonus for that, definitely. Yeah. Get so that if, in. If you want to get in the hard yards at any stage as well, feel, feel free. And that wasn't staged either, or. Um, you're 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 distracting me, lads. I'm losing my train of thought here. Hold on. So I'll bring you I'll bring you back to this. Look, we've always had creative players, right? And there's always been a place for the second playmaker and rugby or whatever you want to call them. But in Ireland, are we actually good at handling players like that? So, so example, Joe Carberry's coming through now. Simon Zebo for a long time would have been thought of maybe the Irish level as a wild card rather than a playmaker, and I'm making that distinction. Um, someone like JJ Hanrahan went away. Um, Jeremy Staunton was that a player that was used well by Irish teams do do, do you know the thread I'm going on here I do but I don't think your argument is stacking up because I think you look at like look how well Carberry has flourished Carberry was playing AIL last year look at his his graph cannot continue to uh, project like that he's got to the top now nearly Mm. he obviously has to do that consistently what will happen in the next 12 months is he'll become analysed his game will slow down most definitely because he's a danger every time he gets the ball. What happens when you're a danger every time? You don't get one person on you. You'll have three people looking at him. Yeah, Joe Simpson caught him pretty badly in that so one. Isn't all right. You look at that. Simon Zebo has the X factor. Simon Zebo plays, um, but Simon Zebo is a great talent. I think Jordy would know more about it, but he's a serious player. I don't think his career has stalled one bit. Jeremy Staunton was different in terms that he could do um, absolute. Um, magical things with a ball but could he do it consistently probably yes but then he had probably me competing for the same jersey and I wasn't prepared to let it, let him in there which became difficult JJ Hanrahan showed glimpses for Munster went to Northampton hasn't showed glimpses he is about to re kickstart his career so I think um, 
you know, Jordy Murphy could do unbelievable things with the ball, but Jordy Murphy has had a magnificent career and I wouldn't say he has any regrets. So I think in terms of are we, uh, you know, I think that that just, for me, projects that we have a negativity in this country towards geniuses. I don't think so. I think uh, you asked Jordy, always the best players get on the pitch because the best players want to play with the best players. It's the same in Leinster. You asked Sean O'Brien 12 months ago, he said, yeah, Carberry's the man. He'll he'll play because players want him on the pitch. But after a while, he'll become analysed. He's in the honeymoon period. There'll be another twenty-four months where he'll find his feet, and then hopefully he'll kick on again. So Jordan, I mean, Roger mentioned there, like you, you had a magnificent career, but it was away from Ireland. Looking back to Ireland, um, am I talking through my backside or do I have anything here that says that perhaps Ireland's use of creative players hasn't been as good as it could have been over the years? I'm, I'm with Roger on this. I, I think obviously you know the, the cream will always rise to the top. Um, it's it's a really difficult one. I think obviously for me was, was a ten came through as a ten and, and found himself on the weekend. You know he's obviously the players want him on the field, so he found himself out there at fifteen and did a really good job. Obviously to, to back that up week in week out if he's going to play fifteen, um, as Roger said, you know there'll be people analysing him, there'll be people having a crack at him in, in different ways. Um, and you know it's it's up to Joey to see how he cracks on from here. Like, on, no one would argue he's a fantastic talent. He can play ball. He can kick the ball. He can pass the ball. He can see the game. Um, and it's just about him doing that consistently. Like you know, from my point of view, for for a long time in my career, it was you know if I didn't move home, I wasn't going to get picked to to play for Ireland. Um, well, certainly for for a few years. And you know, it was always the case where for whatever reason I was tied into contracts or I was you know really enjoying my rugby here. But you know, managed to managed to get get out and put on the Irish shirt seventy two times, which was. You know, obviously a dream. So as as Rod said, you know, you, 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 if you're if you're good enough and, and you're playing a uh, well enough, you'll, you'll you'll manage to get yourself into the team. So Carberry is the guy who was all over the papers and all over the media and, and has been mentioned a lot in this podcast so far. There are other players who perhaps are as important to teams. Duncan Williams was a guy who was very important yeah. to Munster last weekend. Came in at short notice for Conor Murray, um, and described as a player's player. Um, Roger, I mean, you were around the Munster setup for a huge length of time. Do you see players there who stay around for a long, long time, perhaps more than their pure skills would actually... And I, I, that sounds like being harsh, but there are guys who people want are in the squad who will come in and always do a job. Yeah, and I think you've highlighted um, a very um, important point. I think Duncan Williams has been very patient, but he's, he was probably pushed to the brink of being nearly extinct but mentally he kept in there and I think he got a big reward in terms of standing ovation when he came off with seven minutes to go against um, Toulouse and for him his game will kick on to another level because he hasn't had the taste of what real confidence is because he's been berated and slated on social media and by everyone but I think um, you know I've always been a big fan of Duncan Williams because I've trained with him for five years I know what he brings to the tr- uh, changing room I know what he brings to the to the gym I know what he brings to the whole setup and I think um, you have to be patient Billy Holland would be another example of, of, of that profile of player Billy's capped for Ireland now and kicking on in the second round um, I think it was lovely to see his teammates come out and um, and back him because Duncan is hard and he's tough and he's wiry but he puts his body on the line every time and um, I think he's 29 now and he's waited a long time for his day in the sun but it, it's it's great that he did get a day in the sun 
Oh, so, so something like that fascinates me, and I think it's amazing. And um, it's obviously, we touched on it. Like you know, for a guy like Duncan Williams, the reason he's, he's a player's player is because he goes and he brings it every day. Um, he knows that in a big game, if everyone's fit, Conor Murray's going to start. You know, Conor Murray's Irish. Irish. He's quality. He's, he's the starting nine. He, you know, that's that's sort of his role that he has to fulfil. But there, Rod, you know, saying that he's bringing it every day. He's pushing him all the way. He's doing all his best with a view to when he does get his opportunity, he's going to put in a performance like he did on the weekend. And I think that's why players obviously respect guys like that. Um, you know, for, for me, obviously, with only the four provinces in Ireland, I've, I've seen a huge amount of guys come through and, and obviously sit in that role um, behind guys like Rog, you know, as you said about Jeremy Staunton, um, behind Darcy, behind O'Driscoll, I see a huge amount of talent coming through at a young age and guys, you know, just happy, not happy because they obviously they want to push themselves on, you know, but, but they sit there, I suppose, but, you know, they just get the opportunities in that, you know, the big stage, the big occasions, um, we're probably going to go for for the uh, tried and tested, and you know the the, the world class players that, that that they have in the provinces. So, um, yeah, I, I love to see you know guys like Duncan Williams have a, have a game like they did on the weekend. There was a, yeah, there was a moment at the start of that game where Francois Croix just went from at the start because they knew you would have been he would have been targeted at the very start, and he got absolutely flaked out of it. And in the end, Croix got the the yellow card for himself, but Williams just hopped straight back up, and he just couldn't show anybody that he was hurting. And he went on, play went on for around ninety seconds, and then when there was a break in play, you just seen him crouch down, and you knew it hurt, but like that would have meant a lot to the teammates as well, and just to kind of show like you're not going to kind of push me around as well. And it it just well, it just showed you how stupid to lose were as well as coming well, out yeah. the game and doing that, <laughs> especially Cross. I think yeah, he completely just was taken by the occasion. Yeah, he was wired was, the whole game. Yeah, it could have been a red card. It was, it was not the most subtle foul you've ever seen in a no, rugby No, and when you examine it on the um, TMO... Yeah, worse every second. Exactly. Yeah. The, um, the, all this was part of what was a magnificent Saturday yeah. for Irish rugby. Um, there's been a few years where the Irish teams have not been at the top table for European rugby. We've now got Leinster and Munster right back up there. But is this... like How, how do these teams stack up to Saracens and Clermont who they were playing a few weeks are they really back at the top table here? Um, Jordan, from your position, what do you see going on here? Yeah, you know, I don't think you can read a huge amount into it. Um, you know, I think last year, year before, um, every, everything was doom and gloom because at this, sta- this stage, you know, the, the performances probably just weren't there a little bit off and everyone said, oh, you know, Irish rugby is in the pits. And the flip side of that now, obviously, two teams in the semi-finals, everyone's saying, oh, it's, is, is everything great? Um, I think, you know, Irish rugby is in a very strong position. Um, I think you know there's some absolute world-class players in, in both squads. Um, two very tough games ahead, really, to be quite honest, because I think obviously Claremont will be uh, yeah, very, very difficult. I suppose they're not at home in the Stade Michelin. They'll be down the road in. in uh, I'm not sure where, where is that game. That's in uh, Leon, yeah, yeah, Leon. Leon, um, which will be interesting. Um, and Munster are uh, obviously at, uh, have a tough one at home to Saracens, um, but you know I think. It'll be very interesting. I'm looking forward to those games. I wouldn't want to play them. I think Munster can can they uh, can they uh, get a home win? I think um, I think Leinster will struggle abroad in Claremont or in Lyon. In terms of the the general thing here, Raj, of you know we've got two teams who's come back up and with a string of strong performances. Um, is this where we've got a new generation coming through that has needed a couple of years to settle into themselves as players like yourself have retired and moved on? Well, I'm retired a long time, but I think. Um, yeah, they're coming from two, I suppose, completely different um, areas, and it's a fascinating subject, particularly the monster topic. I think you look at what they've achieved this season um, under the circumstances. Um, 
but Razi Erasmus has to take huge credit. How important is it to keep him around now? Well, it's crucial because I think he's he's kind of like a father figure to the players and he he seems to offer massive stability to the whole organisation and that's exactly what Munster were crying out for, a father figure, someone to kind of, I suppose, put all their beliefs on and he has taken on that role brilliantly. And um, it's a lot of the same players that were going nowhere for two years are now um, nearly unbeaten all season. And I agree with Jordan. I think sometimes it's your year and it feels like that for Munster this year. And their season is probably epitomised by John Ryan, like how he played at the weekend for 70 minutes yeah. against massive lumps. You know, I mean, two different uh, loose heads coming in on him. One fella obviously coming off after 49 minutes, a new guy for 21 minutes and still not a bother on him. Still making cover tackles, still yeah. driving people back. And I think um, he epitomises everything good about Munster at the minute. But you look at, um, you know what I mean, Ronan O'Mahony wasn't in the squad last weekend. For people outside the province, they mightn't be aware of how good this guy is. But I'm fully c- convinced that he'll play for Ireland. I think um, you look at Conway was on the bench Conway fronted up and took his game to a new level against England Munster didn't have that in the past in terms of I suppose the luxury of choice and the backs and the forwards yes they always have Um, would I think the current pack is as good as the pack that that won in 06 and 08 probably not but they have such hunger and dog and work rate in them that um, completely led by uh, a brilliant Dunica Ryan at yeah. the minute he's playing great stuff last weekend I was in the ground and just at pitch level you could see he was just so composed in terms of his calling strategy in terms of his linking with Tyler Blinn and all in terms of running the game it wasn't just completely run by 10 it was interesting to watch the on-field chemistry between how the two of them went about I suppose choosing whether they'd peel whether they'd take it off the top whether they'd drive it whether they'd go to wit whether they'd hit the 10 channel and you could see them having many discussions and um and Munster obviously were inaccurate at times. That's the scary thing. They weren't really for the first they half. Dropped off there for a while, didn't it? During yeah, the first half. Yeah. I think that after ten nil up, the result wasn't in doubt. I think Munster switched off a little bit. Mm. Then the crowd got into them and kind of said, "Come on, we're out. we want a good day out here." <laughs> yeah. And they came back again, and um, you know, what I mean, they won in second gear really. So you said something interesting there at the start that this was being done in two different ways. Yes, I always felt like. Um, the production line in Leinster is greater than any team in Europe obviously the amount of young kids that are available the academy system the school system the young players and I think um, obviously their ability to 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 coach the players and bring in the players I think Leo Cullen is a lot smarter than people make him out I think he's happy taking a bat s- back yeah, seat where he is this season, but yeah. he's he's uh, very very shrewd in terms of the programme he's running and um, Lan- Lancaster seems to be a highly motivated coach as he should be obviously coming back from that disappointment but um, they have um, they have a great mix between people who have won at the highest level consistently and a lot of hungry young players and I think that's that's a big mix but um, it's it's where they should be I think um, obviously the previous years Munster were hugely underperforming but now they've got their act together Leinster last season completely underperforming this season th- they are um, that good and I probably disagree with Jordy I think I think they'll win against Claremont Do you think Munster will win as well? 
Well, I think if Munster beats Saracen, I I think the winner of that game will win the European Cup. Okay. Okay. I just think Saracens are so good. You look at how they just demolished uh, Glasgow, and I think Glasgow's essentially the Scottish team. You, you actually, um, we were chatting to someone like that, Matt, and he was there at the end of the game, and he was saying that you, you dropped into the dressing room to, to have a chat to them afterwards. Is, was that the first time you were back in years? Like, would you have dared go back I in the past? I was back for Axel's game, but obviously it was a completely sad and different occasion. Yeah, yeah. and it was just um, our heads were, were in a different place. The great thing about this weekend was I went with my three boys because they don't know what Tolman Park is. Yeah. And it's important they know what Tolman Park is. And um, so we took a day out. We went to a Young Monster luncheon with Mike Prendergast before the game and then um, into Tolman Park and had uh, great seats. And then I was kind of, um, I suppose, um, edgy about going to the change room. Mm. I went down and met Felix Jones and he said, go on in course, go in. And the kids were asking can we go to the vestiaire because they don't know what the word for dressing room is in English <laughs> Dad, can we go to the vestiaire I said of course yeah we go down and um, when we went in it was like I'd never left the place it was fantastic and Jerry Flannery was there and all the medical team and the coaches and um, all the players and uh, obviously there's a new generation and I know a big figure like me you just uh, you can have an intimidating presence on them, but it didn't feel like that one bit. It was, it was uh, really yeah. cool. <laughs> Jordy, what, what are you laughing at? <laughs> you, you can I'm act- laughing at you talking yourself up. Yeah. <laughs> the, the modesty level in the room is. I'm just. We'll leave it there. Right. Listen. Uh, up next, we'll chat about the influence that players can have over referees. The hard yards on Sports Joe, backed by Ladbrokes. Okay, and we're back and we do hear a lot about the influence that some coaches can have over referees with little conversations before a match or afterwards or when they see them but players can have influence over referees too and there was a brilliant example from this last weekend from Super Rugby where TJ Perinara oh, yeah, actually yeah, got a decision change so I'll, I'll talk this through for anyone who didn't see it so there is a scrum uh, under the Reds posts uh, TJ Perinara is captain and scrum half for the Hurricanes there is a penalty given by the referee Angus Gardner and Pernara goes for the quick tap and just dives straight over the line and you think this is great try TMO is a quick check he never actually made contact with the ball when he tapped it so the referee blows it up and says sorry no try and he gives the scrum to the Reds everyone still following me mm-hmm. Pernara had gone back to the other to the, the halfway line to sell the, so got the try, yeah. exactly he runs all the way back and as captain's going what's going on Gardner says I will explain to you no problem TMO said you didn't touch the ball Pernara then goes but then it's still my penalty I didn't touch the ball I haven't taken the kick it's my penalty still <laughs> and Gardner turns around and goes yep that's a fair point and changes the decision it was just it was the most amazing thing I've seen in a long time where a referee actually listens to a player change the decision whether he got the decision right in the end or wrong, I don't even get into. <laughs> but some players over the years are very, very good at working a referee, at handling a referee. You know, players like Mick Galway had the reputation for it. Uh, Martin Johnson had the reputation for it. Paul O'Connell had the reputation for it. Best has grown it as well, isn't he? He's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, is this, is this how important is that in a game? How, yeah, how well much I, can I, a referee I, be influenced? I by think players? every situation is very different. I think in terms of the Perinara case I, I watched the game live and in fairness to the referee he said you actually make a good point he did. and he was more than happy to go back on his decision which is great to see that 
the ref wasn't stubborn or his officials they were saying yeah actually this guy knows about the laws of the game because um Jordy and myself will know the laws of the game now is a four or five hundred page book from world rugby every year so there's it's become so technical um but in terms of playing the referee it, it has always been there people forget that he's human and there's a way of managing him and they can drive you around the bend at times but the the best of the best were always capable of keeping their composure and and um and playing them to their team's advantage so how do you do that how do you work a ref i think you have to know them you have to um i know of of certain test nations that have um studied up on referees that they're going to have at the weekend found out what their interests are found out what their wife is interested their kids names and all of a sudden when they meet them on the friday lunchtime they deliver this wham 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 um I suppose uh, a flurry of information and the referee is like wow what has this happened and all of a sudden you paint a positive picture and um, I think um, on the pitch um, it, it, I suppose there's a way of talking to them there's timing and talking to them you'll know too because all the teams um, on your Thursday or Friday morning meeting you get a ref presentation if you're playing test matches this is what he's hot on, this is what he doesn't like, do not go near this. And um, But that's all well and good when it's presented on a Thursday morning and there's steam isn't coming out of your ears and there's no, um, your heart isn't going 190 beats per minute. So I think um, it's, it's a fascinating subject. I think um, over the years, our best relationships in a red jersey were with Nigel Owens, I think. Um, he was very easy to play under in, in Tolman Park. Maybe the team was going well, but he was had a very, I suppose, easy manner about himself. Um, and would you ever have gone to him, or would you leave it to the captain? Um, like a quiet word, or no? Well, I had to work on myself and keep my mouth shut. To be honest, there's <laughs> <laughs> um, no last from Jordy that time. No, because he knows it's true. <laughs> I think it's it's <laughs> because you just it's sometimes. Uh, it pops out and you're like oh sorry ref sorry ref I didn't mean that you know what I mean people have a habit of, of, of refing the game when they're in the game and you can't do that drives the ref demented so um, after a while you get feedback from your players you get feedback from the coaches you get feedback from the referees beforehand you just and if they say to you well you keep it down today you keep it down um, but there was there was really good players and captains Brian O'Driscoll had a great manner in terms of how he dealt with referees at international level and um he was far away from the action, but they still always... Uh, he wouldn't speak too often, but when he needed to speak, they'd really um, heed what he had to say. Who was the best you played with at just managing a ref during the game? Well, see, it's different times too. I think the game was different when Golov was involved, mm. but Golov was brilliant. How do you mean? Oh. He was just his manner, I think. He'd kind of look in disbelief at sometimes, and then he'd nearly start laughing at other times, and how could you give that decision, ref, and make a joke and put the arm around him? But you were allowed to touch the refs back then, and you were... <laughs> You were allowed kind of get close to them and have a joke. The pace of the game was slower, probably, and um, Gallup was probably out of breath most of the time too. So I was <laughs> happy to take a breather. Jordan did my Martin Johnson. I'd say his routine was slightly different than Gallup. Less joking, more glaring. Is that about right? Yeah, it's it's no, nah, it's one of those things. Uh, Martin Johnson actually didn't say a huge amount to any referees. I think when England won the World Cup in two thousand and three. 
Um, they had a policy where he didn't speak to any of the referees because he was such an intimidating character, six foot seven, and he looked like a Ferengi from Star Trek with his forehead. Um, basically, the, the policy they had was that Matt Dawson would speak to all the referees. So he, he did the toss before the game. He spoke to the referee over any matters when the referee wanted to stop the game and, and have the team addressed. Other than that, they said, look, Matt Dawson's going to speak to you. Obviously, he's at the referee's height, at the referee's eye level. He was an imposing character. He was in the referee's ear consistently. Um, so, so that was something that they did. So although, you know, Martin's always been, you know, I hear it a lot, oh, you know, he was very good at playing the referees. He actually very rarely spoke um, to the referees or actually very rarely spoke on the rugby field. Um, and like Roger's saying, you know, I, I think every team now, you know, will do a little bit of homework on the referees and, and, and know what they're like, and, you know, where, they, where their penalties are coming from, where their tendencies to give decisions are. Um, and we're obviously all trying to stay away from that. But I think a huge amount of it is, is you know, each and referees are, are and different individuals and it's how you treat them and how you have those rapports so for me the best guys at dealing with them are guys who, who just have a, a knack of dealing with people well um, have a knack of knowing well okay you know well, there's no point in talking about this guy this referee is actually beginning to get his back up you know we might as well just all just keep our mouths shut here and go away or if the referee's in a relaxed mood and you can read that you can have that conversation with them and, and they uh, you know and try and obviously get your point around uh, across but it's a, um, it's a very difficult thing to do and so I suppose nine times out of ten there's, there's not really a huge amount, it, it can really backfire on you, as it did for me. Um, Peter Fitzgibbon, actually, the Irish referee, refereed Leicester Perpignan in about 2007, and I was the captain. And I, uh, he'd made a couple of decisions. It was getting quite hot and heavy. Um, he made, made a decision. I, I, I jogged into a ask him what, what a penalty was for, and he, he marched me 10 metres to my desperation because I was telling him, sir, I'm the captain, I'm allowed to come and speak to you, but it didn't want to be spoken to, so marched us 10 metres, they kicked a penalty, and they beat us at Welford Road. So, um, yeah, he's still, he's, still, he's still on my list. Uh, <laughs> but, but that's an interesting point because let's say you're still playing and you've done that with Peter Friskeven. This is a small playing pool, sorry, a small refereeing pool. You're going to have to see these either later in the mm. season or in a couple of years' time. When do you know when to push it? Like, George, when you were captain, when did you know when, look, I really have to push this now. It's worthwhile pushing this now for this call. Oh, I think it's obviously that the gravity of the game is, is important. You know, if, if that's a European final, it's probably worth pushing. Um, I, I think on the whole, you know, rugby is a great sport in that you, you can have, you know, a decision like that against you. I mean, you can be furious, but after the game, you know, generally you'll speak to the referee, and, and although you may be upset for the game's going on after the game, it's like, well, there's not a huge amount you can do about it now. I don't think any referee in, in the world of rugby goes out to make mistakes. Undoubtedly, they will make mistakes, but that's just human error. Um, at times in games, it feels like, God, this referee's, you know, he's killing us because he's making these mistakes, or, you know, he's intentionally got his back up, or we've rubbed him up the wrong way. I don't think any of the referees are like that, particularly in, in this day and age. I think the game's too professional. They have too much coaching. They analyse all the games post-match on a Monday together. Um, so, you know, I think it's just one of those things that, that you kind of just have to say, well, you know, he made a mistake. That, that's fair enough. You know, he, he, people are going to make mistakes. Just let's get on with it. Um, Raj, Jonathan Sexton at the weekend thought there was a moment. So Willie LaRue had gone, who died over the line for Wasps. Sexton had saw that ball drop and he was choosing his moment and he was looking at everyone that looked as if they were an official wanting them to go to the TMO um, that was that was a good moment I was in the ground I was looking down I was almost directly above him and he drew everyone else's attention to it I'd say 50,000 people thought that, that was a try Maybe but one person other, didn't and it seemed to flag something to the TMO and the referee but how often can you do that that violently with all the air emotions and everything. No, well, obviously he, he he had, as we see with hindsight, he had an extreme reason to mm. to um, 
really flag it to the referee and I don't think obviously as a sportsman um, you, do, you do that because obviously it was a horrendous error that you don't see if 999 out of a thousand times it's, it's a try but obviously from the angle Johnny was at he could see that there was separation in the ball so I think he would absolutely um, you know I me. Mean, he wouldn't look well if he demanded the referee and because of the stature of the player Johnny Sexton is the referee would I would say frequently listen to him and take on board his advice so he to, just to clarify he'd have to go and ask the TMO but if he checked the TMO and the TMO gave it 100% to try then Johnny loses huge credibility with the referee he cannot open his mouth to the referee but as a result of him being sharp and getting this call right his respect grows in Nigel Owen's mind and it was unbelievably well spotted What do you say to someone like a, a so let's say one of your players <coughs> at Racing makes a mistake like that what can or do you, you say to him? Say anything. You can't. You don't. The, whether it's a fifteen-year-old or a thirty-five-year-old, he one hundred percent knows what he has done wrong. That's that's not coaching. You just you get on with it. That's that happens. It's really unfortunate. But what is the advantage in you bollocking him out of it? Absolutely none. Would you tell him just don't do the diving thing again, or? Um, like, is there any benefit? I think at all? that's a different discussion. Okay, so let's so the technical discussion. I, I, I actually think then if there's no diving, it's the same of why do strikers celebrate in 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 football? That's what it's all about. The people who score tries and Jordy would know this a lot better than me. But like, um, you have to have that people because we are, I suppose, hardcore rugby coaches, supporters, ex-players, but an awful lot of the percentage of people that are in the grounds. Um, want to be entertained I have this discussion with family members they go to rugby games to be entertained they look upon it as entertainment while I would not look upon it as entertainment I look upon it as winning an opportunity to, to get the better of your opposition but for a lot of the people that go there they want to be entertained they want to see X Factor they want to see wild dives they want to see tries so from that point of view if you're a coach that bans diving I think you're on the road to the cul-de-sac. Jordan, do you like to see players celebrate? Uh, I'd like to see them celebrate after they've scored. Um, <laughs> to be quite honest, you know, for me with Rog, I, I, I agree with Rog, you know, a player like Willie Daru, I don't know how many caps he has for South Africa, mm. he knows how to play, he knows how to score a try. He's just got a, a little bit of uh, beyond himself there. Um, for me, um, he's just got carried away. Uh, you could probably work on the skill of diving with him. I mean, locking the ball up two hands or locking it up in one hand and just landing it on your chest. I think he got, he kind of got himself confused. He got so excited with the, with the uh, the nature of the try. I think he dived, was going to put it down, which you you usually see, and then he tried to place it at the same time, which um, obviously you've seen the results. Uh, but you, we've seen that in rugby before. Like Wiesemann for London Irish a few seasons ago went in with a ridiculously big dive and managed to drop the ball as well. Um, I think sometimes on occasions it happens. I, I know from Wasp's point of view, I think they'll be really disappointed with that because it was probably at a crucial time in the game. And one of the one of the key factors in the game was respecting the ball. You know, I think all season Wasps in, in, in the Premiership have, you know, they've been scoring huge amounts of tries. Um, they've got a huge amount of X factor in, in their back line. And, and, you know, they've been scoring five, six tries a game, but they've also been conceding four or five tries and sort of winning games by seven points. They, they beat Worcester the week before that game, 40-33. And, you know, they, they were just very loose with the ball and, and sort of, uh, you know, really giving opposition cheap scores. So so for, for someone like A.A. Willie LaRue to do that that early in the game, I think, you know, really dented their confidence. Um, so so from that point of view, it's, it's, it's really frustrating for them and, and for him. But, 
yeah, there's not a huge amount you can do about it now. Right. There speaks the top try scorer of all time for Leicester Tigers and Jordan we'll let you go thank you very much for your time uh, we will be back uh, looking at a crucial weekend of Pro 12 Rugby coming up as well as the Champions Cup odds with Ladbrokes Haley O'Connor The Hard Yards on Sports Joe backed by Ladbrokes we're back on the hard yards with a look ahead to the weekend's Pro 12 action. So we've had our Champions Cup week weekend, but we're back in four games left across the European leagues. Leinster and Munster sit top of the Pro 12. Pat McCarry, who are they facing this weekend? Yeah, um, Munster, Munster got Glasgow and it's down in uh, Irish Independent Park down in Cork. And that's their you know farewell to Cork this season. And um, it's a shame, I suppose, because they're on such a roll that it's not going to be in Tolman, but... You'd be interested to see how many of their big players. Ronan was speaking earlier about the likes of Ronan O'Mahony and lads who did well who came off the bench last week, like Jack O'Donoghue and, and Dave Callahan might get a start. And um, Glasgow, they're by no means safe in that sixth place, so they're going to be coming to win. But um, yeah, Munster are going to hope to kind of do a job from close enough, and um, they they want a top two finish so they can get a home semi final. So um, yeah, I, I'd kind of go for for Munster to win that, and then. Leinster have a t- it would have been tougher I'd say away to Ospreys but then Ospreys lost isn't it to Treviso recently as well yeah. so I watched the second half of that yeah, it was like not it, a fluke yeah. Ospreys were awful yeah it was it was a kind of it was a crazy enough game so you'd have they've went and won in the Liberty Stadium before so um you know Leinster have a tough run in when you look at it but I think this is a game they can they can they'll be targeting for a win so um yeah they, they're playing on the Saturday and then Munster follow up and the night before that we have Ulster at home to Cardiff Nick Williams is back and he's actually in decent enough form but um, Ulster have to, I think Trimble's back for them as well which and, kind they, of, and they have to win to stay in fourth place yeah yeah like Ulster are looking good yeah like they, but they can't afford to kind of that, that drop so um, I, can, I can see them winning that one and then the shame is uh, like for all Connacht now or they look like they're all they can maybe do is scrape that last playoff place or something at this stage because they're, they're 10 points 11 points um, far out of the Champions Cup spots and it was funny I was saying to someone there that they got that game back against Zebra that they got cancelled and now they went over five months later and lost it Like so, it was a good um, couple of weeks for the Italian side so yeah, it, it, yeah. if we take the green tinted glasses off Zebra beaten Connacht was great Yeah, but it didn't feel great last weekend no no and and they didn't have the likes of, like it's a shame because Marmion like he didn't feature that much in Six Nations that so he was still given a rest week and O'Halloran was given a rest after being in camp as well and they're back now but it's it's almost that was it's a risk you take I suppose you can't play your big guys every week but they've they, they really kind of fell up against it like so that's their season's almost over and now they have the likes of Marmion and Heenan and, and O'Halloran and Adia Lucan's all back for them so um, just playing to playing for pride at this stage and just kind of you'll probably see him cut loose again and be like the, the Connacht Connacht of old fingers crossed or of one season of one season to go yeah uh, we've been joined by Hayley O'Connor from Ladbrokes hello hi how are you um, tell us why, what do Ladbrokes what are they looking for from the uh, Irish provinces for the Champions Cup where do you think that Leinster and Rugby have a chance of winning this thing I spoke to the guy who uh, set the prices for this at the start of the competition and he was so depressed today. He was like, I gave Munster no chance. He said after their season last year, uh, uh, last season, and he said, and he didn't think, he he, he goes, I can't believe he says, I didn't think that Leinster would ever have the depth that they do. Um, So as it transpires, you know, after having a great result with Ireland beating England in the Six Nations and getting a rake of cash, we now find ourselves in a situation where 
we can only win, this can only be a winning competition for, for Ladbrokes if Claremont win. And as he said, Claremont basically, they always fall at the final hurdle, you know. Um, because Saracens were as big as 130 at the start of the competition, or yeah, after they won last year. Um, they are fit around 15 to 8 now. Munster went out to 66 to 1, so they're sh- th- at one point. So that's like shocking result for us, considering they're now 3 to 1. And Leinster are actually the worst results uh, in our book. They were as big as 25 to 1, they're now 4 to 1. So, like, you know, there, and pl- there was plenty of takers at, at 25. So he was like, you know, all all three bar Claremont are, are losers for us. And Staying on the subject of Munster, um, we talked earlier on the podcast about the importance of keeping their coach, Rossi Erasmus, around. What is Ladbrook's view of that? Um, not quite pessimistic. Like he's sevens on with us to, to leave just with his comments about clauses in his contract. Um, we think he's likely not going to be there by the end of 2017. Um, if you think he he is going to be there, you can back him at, at nine to two, but it's it's not. It, we don't think it's... it's uh, Good. Okay. And something to look forward to this weekend for the Pro Twelve. You've got a four team accumulator for the weekend's games for the Irish provinces. Yeah, if you're if you're you're talking about the green glasses, if you think um all the four provinces are gonna win, you can back them at eight to one at the moment now that price mightn't stay, but uh, eight to one, so that might be they seem to be in fine fettle, so it's doable. It's doable. It is doable, yeah. Um, you've got a copy of the Racing Post on your lap. I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on to the importance. What's, go- what's, what's going on? Uh, you were boring me. No, I'm only joking. Um, well, the big thing of the Grand National, um, for, I won't be there actually for the first time in a long time. I, m- our boss said, you know, I want all the senior management working in a shop on, on Grand National Day. And it's actually great crack in the bookies. I haven't been there for years on Grand National Day. So I actually was in our shop in the, in the Liberties early on today and I was talking to a couple of the street traders about who they were backing and they were like so hilarious. Like the favourite is a horse called uh, definitely Radwell, the favourite at the moment. And uh, I, they asked me, oh, you know, who's the jolly? And I said, a horse called Definitely Red. And they're like, definitely not bleeding red and all this. So anyway, they were giving me their stuff. But uh, it's it's mental. Like there's 40 horses, like they have to jump 30 horrible fences. Um, and it's just so like, it's so thrilling to watch. And I'd say to anyone, a really good thing to do before you watch the Grand National. There there was a jockey cam of Leighton Aspel the year he, he won it and it goes through the race as if you're sitting on the horse like it, and it's when you see it it's like it's absolutely brilliant so I would say watch that and it'll make you enjoy and appreciate the Grand National even more and if you're looking for, for winners I just stick a pin in it it's so difficult to predict I'm going to go for a horse called Cocktails at Dawn at eight, 80 to 1 just because I've had loads of cocktails at Dawn so. <laughs> that works for me I've known nothing about horses I will go with a name every time Right, time to wrap it up. Rowan O'Garia, thank you very much. Thank you, Jordan Murphy. Thank you, Pat McCurry. Thank you, Haley O'Connor from Ladbrooks. Joe Harrington is our producer and Shane Dempsey is on sound. Get in touch by tweeting any of us or at sportsjoe.ie and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud or through your favourite podcast app. This has been The Hard Yards. I'm Andy McGeady. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrooks. Passionate about sport.